outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. Your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, brought to you by First Light. On this week's show, we are going to take a deep dive into setting up tree stands, prepping stand and saddle sites, and getting blinds out and ready for the upcoming season. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a big believer in having lots of options when it comes to whitetail hunting. I think the thing that holds a lot of hunters back is committing to just one property or committing to just a couple of stand sites on a certain property then riding out their season with those limited options. If you're in like, I don't know, southern Iowa on heavily managed ground, that might be all you need. For most of us, it's just not. It's going to fall short. The work we do in the late summer and how we really fine-tune our ambush sites matters so much because it gives us options. And that's the topic of this week's show. While it might be ridiculously hot out in the midday right now, there is just a little hint of some cooler weather at first and last light. If that doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies as a deer hunter, you might want to check your pulse. We are getting closer by the day as the last weeks of summer give into fall, and now is the time to get really serious about your ambush options. We're talking tree stands, ground blinds, and just potential spots that you might hunt. Public land, private land, you name it. Now is the time to figure out where you're likely to sit throughout the season and get those spots as well set up and prepped as possible. This is obviously going to look different for folks who have access to private ground versus the run-and-gun public crowd. But I'm going to cover both approaches, because there is some overlap in both, and it's useful to know how to approach both styles, because you never know when you'll get permission in a new spot or find yourself out of an old standby parcel and suddenly stuck hunting public land. The best way to do this is to think through the entirety of your season, at least up until, I don't know, maybe the rut is over. If you have to reset for some later season hunting, there's plenty of time for that. But for now, I look at the season in phases and try to evaluate whether I've got enough options to get me through most days, knowing that whenever I need to go mobile, I can easily fill in those gaps. So let's start with stand basics in the early season. Anyone who spends a lot of time on public ground 
either knows how amazing it would be to go into a private spot with a truck full of stands and a limb saw in August or can envision it. It's a different world. And even if you only set up a few stands, they offer a vastly different experience than walking into public dirt, and hanging and hunting. For starters, one of the biggest differences, you can trim access routes and shooting lanes on private land. That's no small thing, and it's a huge part of making a spot really hum. As mostly a public land hunter myself, I'd say my biggest pet peeve with just being a public land hunter is usually not having the ability to trim anything. I don't know how many trees I've walked up to to only realize that there's no way I would be able to shoot anything if it walked by. Or how many times I've climbed up 17 feet and realized I got no options to work around the limbs that didn't look so intrusive from ground level or have no shooting windows out there. It's frustrating, but it's part of the public land game. Now, if you've got private ground, you probably don't need to worry about that stuff. You can get out there and look at the spots you've chosen for early season hunts. Look at the gimme stuff here, because it's fun. The field edge stands, they're fun. That stand on the beans you go to opening night, get that sucker up now. Make sure you have the shooting lanes you need and that you have some cover to hide in because you might not only sit that stand on September 17th, but swing back around on I don't know, October 5th and then Halloween and then maybe for a rut hunt on November 3rd. The likelihood of getting busted with those sits increases with the passage of time throughout the fall, both because of the leaves falling, of course, and the woods getting more open, but also because the deer get wiser to your setups, especially when you sit them over and over again. And it's something worth considering now to mitigate the odds of watching does that are wise to your presence turn inside out and take off and clear the field before the bucks even get there. These stands are fun because you know you'll see deer during the first couple of sits and they're easy to get to. But this is guilty pleasure stuff and has the tendency to die pretty quickly if you're not the only one going after the deer on the property or even if you are, if you overhunt a spot. Now, even with an easy field edge setup, whether you're putting up a ladder stand or you install a hang-on, one thing that's really beneficial is if you can talk somebody into giving you a hand. Having a partner here is extremely beneficial. Obviously, it should cut the physical work in half for you, but just as importantly, you've got someone to be your eyes on the ground as you fine-tune your stand sites. While you're up there at stand level getting everything set up, your hunting partner can walk around the stand on trails and out in the field and let you know where your shots are likely to occur and what you should trim. Plus, they can trim from the ground level while you're up in the tree. This allows you to really carve out some quality shooting lanes. The person on the ground is also the judge of how much should be trimmed because he's looking up from a deer's eye view. While walking 360 degrees around the stand, he can see what you'll look like up there and how likely you are to get busted at different points of the season the on the ground trimmer should also consider what it looks like right now but also figure out what it's really going to look like in a month or two or three it's easy when you're up in the tree to want to trim a lot but taking out too much cover is generally a bad idea this is one of the reasons why starting with a multi-trunked or a multi-limbed at stand height tree is a good idea if you've got the option leaves will fall but the limbs probably won't which means you'll have some cover throughout the season. Red oaks are another great option for this, just for how long they'll hold their leaves. Same thing with pine trees. One thing that you'll face with this part of the process is just how much should you trim? In my experience, it's real easy to go overboard and cut too much. 
we think we need six foot wide shooting lanes when in reality we could probably get away with like basketball sized holes in the brush, maybe a little bigger than that, but not to the point where we could drive a full size pickup through them. While this is up to personal preference, I try to err on the side of caution when it comes to creating shooting lanes because the deer I'm going to shoot are going to be close and shouldn't be too hard to hit. Shouldn't be. I realize that's not always the case, but rarely is it due to the size of the shooting lane when compared to the degree to which our brains melt when a buck walks in. During this cutting and trimming phase, some folks get real wiggy about the limbs and brush that they've cut. I don't. I don't carry them out or stack them up or I don't even worry about them really. If a buck walks in after you and a buddy set a stand, he's going to know you were there. You can't hide it. And honestly, I don't think it bothers them that much, especially by the time the sun has risen and set a few times after your intrusion. And while you're cutting away and fine-tuning field edge stand sites, it's also worth considering at this point whether your stand should face the field or not. In my world, the answer to that is almost always Point that SOB away from the open stuff. Most hunters face their stands right at the deer. But pressure deer will pick you off more easily when you do that. Simple. It goes against our nature. But set your stands almost directly away from where you feel the deer will be. Instead of facing 180 degrees straight away, shave maybe like 20, 25 degrees off your angle, off to the bow arm side, to give yourself a solid opportunity to shoot around the trunk of the tree. This is one of the reasons saddles have gotten so popular because they allow you to easily hide yourself from approaching deer and then shoot them as they go past. That's not nothing, my friends, when you're dealing with pressured bucks. And speaking of saddle hunters, while private land hunters are sawing and pruning away on their gimme setups over destination food sources, what are all these public land hunters to do? In some states, you can hang and leave stands on public land, but an awful lot of them, you can't especially before the actual season is open. I tend to look at field edge stand sites or climbing stand or saddle tree sites on public as one and done options. I'll make note of them. And if there is something worthwhile, try to get in right away or when the conditions absolutely favor lots of deer movement. There often isn't much you can do with this scenario except scout out good trees and make a plan for how you'll get in and get out. To really stay in the action on public land, it's best to think about the next layer back from the food. This is also a good strategy for private land hunters who know they'll put pressure on the field edges and other obvious food sources because the bucks they are hunting, just like the public land deer, will back up into the cover and reduce their movement in the open, easy to hunt stuff. If you have the option, have that next layer covered with a stand or a couple of saddle trees that are marked. I can't stress this enough, and I'm sure you're going to get sick of hearing about it, but even though those field edges exhibit a major gravity on us, to be successful, we've got to anticipate where the deer are going to go next. Generally, this means the next layer back in the cover off of the easy-to-reach field edges, power lines, and clearings. There have been GPS studies on hunters on public land in the past that showed most of your competition is going to hit a wall at about one-third of a mile from the easy access. Research has also shown that turkeys can figure that out, which means a three or four year old buck on public land is going to be pretty keyed into where the hunting pressure is going to go. In addition to just distance from access, the pressure on both private and public land is often concentrated around the easiest, most obvious places to hunt. If a two track leads to a food plot, so will go the hunters. The next layer in matters. 
And that's where you should hang your stands or scout out stand sites for the reality that opening week might not pan out with an easy kill. This is something I learned totally by accident growing up in Minnesota. Because we can't bow hunt the rut without sharing the woods with half a million gun hunters. I dedicated my entire season as a young man to killing deer in September and October. I also only had one stand for a good portion of my early career. So in some ways, I was actually ahead of this mobile hunting curve by a lot. I'd carry that heavy steel chain-on stand in, hang it somewhere interesting, and then promptly burn the spot out. Then I'd move on and repeat the process. I also learned pretty early on while bow hunting a hunter-filled dairy farm that while we were jockeying for position on the field edges, the bucks, even the scrappers I was trying so hard to kill, would hang back in the woods until last light or after. Sometimes they'd be just, I don't know, 100 yards off the field, sometimes more. But what was obvious to me, even as an idiot teenager, was that I was mostly out of luck on field edges by the second week of the season. I had to move back to those staging areas. Give yourself a chance to react to the pressure the way the deer will by setting up some secondary stands in the cover or knowing where you'll drop back to when that pressure hits on public land. You've already scouted these spots. You know where some of the deer activity is concentrated. And really, it's not that much more work physically. Mentally, it's a little bit tougher. After all, you just set yourself up to kill a buck on a destination food source. Why would you have better luck moving into the woods to kill the same deer that are going to that food? Because you need to be where the deer want to be at all points of the season. This means that you can pretty much break down your setups and ambush sites to the food, to the staging spots when the pressure gets to them, and then the rut honey holes that are almost always built around pinch points and funnels. There's three layers there that you got to pay attention to. Throwing up stands right now in these spots even if you only give yourself one option for each layer, gives you something to work with throughout each phase of the bow season. You'll still want to keep that saddle or that lightweight hang on handy because the deer will toss you a few curveballs on private land. On public land, without being mobile, you're just not very likely to be successful. A lot of this mainframe setup work should happen now. And as you're doing it, drop waypoints and take notes on wind direction. Nothing kills a stand quicker than hunting it with a questionable or just plain wrong win. Nothing. This goes back to the options thing. If you only have a couple of options, you might default to hunting them even when the conditions aren't that great because you're going to talk yourself into it because you want to go hunting. Be careful with that. This is also why I prefer to dive in a little deeper into the cover to take advantage of deer that are getting wise to the dangers around the easy stuff. Oftentimes when pressure deer do enter a field, they're going to do it in a way where the wind really favors their direction of travel. This can be tough to play if you're dead set on being in the field edge. Back in the woods, you might be able to key in on a well-used trail or a season-long funnel that will allow you a better chance to take advantage of how their chosen travel route doesn't always perfectly give them the chance to play the wind. Now, while you're getting your work done this week, you might be thinking, okay, I've got these stands up. Or I've got five different trees picked out for saddle hunting. That's good stuff, but can be limiting if you're always thinking about ambush sites solely from an aerial perspective. Do you have any reason to brush in a hub-style ground blind somewhere? Maybe on an overgrown fence row or along a cattail slough? If you do, do it now. And when I say brush it in, I don't mean cut three pencil-thin pine boughs and lay them on top. I mean brush that son of a bitch in. Deer, over time, will get real used to a ground blind pretty much anywhere but why take the risk of having something so out of place in their home 
brush it in well. Give it depth. Give yourself a chance to really hide in the shadows. As I've started taking my little girls out with me, I much prefer tree stands in the view they offer. But for getting away with sitting with fidgety hunting partners, ground blinds are money. They're also awesome to shoot from. When you're at the deer's level, you don't have to think about your up and down angle. It simplifies the whole shot process and gives a nice look at their vitals in a way that you usually don't fully get from stands or saddles. And if you do decide to put a ground blind out now, do a couple of things besides brushing it in really well. Stake it down like a tornado could come through at any day. Better yet, stake it down and then tie it down. Then prop up the top hub either with just a stick that you cut at the right height or a store-bought telescoping blind accessory that allows you to keep the blind standing up and not cave in from rain or wind. Trust me on this. You'll thank me later if you do this right. But what if you don't have a blind, can't stand sitting them, or are hunting public dirt where you just can't leave a $300 blind out? You can also either build natural blinds now or mark spots where a natural blind is a possibility. On private ground, I don't sit natural blinds much because I can usually set up stands and hub style blinds beforehand. On public land, I set them a lot, both to observe and often to kill. In fact, I probably average one public land buck a season while tucked into a deadfall or some other ground cover and have killed some of my biggest bucks that way. This is due to a couple of reasons. The first is that if you take a trip to public land somewhere and you find a good spot, You've only got a couple of days to hunt there regardless of wind direction or suitable stand trees. Pure necessity dictates that you might just need to hole up in a deadfall across your fingers. The second is that the deer often live in cover that just doesn't have a lot of suitable trees. I actually think in heavily hunted areas, they gravitate toward these types of brushy, grassy spots because of the fact that they are harder to hunt there. To take this a step further, which might be total BS, but I'm going to say it anyway, there's often a real surprise factor to a natural blind hunt. You can get a first hunt in a place they just don't seem to expect people. Even better, these blinds are free and they give you options, which is really important, as I've mentioned 73 times so far. It's also going to be the topic of next week's episode, or at least play into it pretty heavily. So get out there now, head into your go-to spots and get your stands and blinds set up if you can. If you can't, Take a walk through and make note of not only where exactly the trees are that you'll climb up in, but how you'll get to them and out of them. Familiarize yourself with the process so that when you do saddle up, there won't be any hiccups when it's go time. Get the work done now. Not in the last few days before the season opens up, but now. There's still time to make a big impact in any given spot and get out so that things can return to normal, even if you hunt a state with an early opener. That's it for this show, my fellow deer junkies. Be sure to tune in next week so you can keep your whitetail game moving in the right direction. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you right here next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.